Hey, this passage, <clears throat> I was actually thinking, and I know it's a joke. I was thinking about bringing, going to a dollar store and buying a bunch of buckets and asking us to wash each other's feet, right? And even the thought of it is just sometimes thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I want to wash, especially someone you don't know. And you don't know if you want them to touch your feet. But I want us to get into that idea of what Jesus actually did here, right? And as he was in the meal, as he washed the feet, how much he loved them to the end, right? And we're going to see that more and more, and even when it makes us uncomfortable. And the first point I want us to kind of look at and focus on is how Jesus ate. He ate and he broke bread with them. It says this, and I, I want us to get this out of it, is that if Jesus can sit at the table and eat Passover with someone that will betray him, so can we, right? If Jesus could sit at a table with some, and eat with someone that will betray him, so can we, right? It says that as they were eating a meal together, this last supper, right? He got up from the meal. He got up from the meal and then he actually started doing this washing the feet, right? But if anything, what was said is that they're eating a meal, they're sitting together, and then he started doing this. And in that process, he, kn he knows and he knew that Judas was going to betray him. Now, I think sometimes it's easy to kind of see this and to think about, oh, what will happen if someone betrays me? But, <clears throat> and, and how easy it is for Jesus. But I think it's actually very difficult. Very, very difficult. I think, you know, something that I, I don't know. It's, it's also, it's been hard for me. I want to confess as we go into kind of the later on a practical idea of it. But this idea that Jesus, knowing that Judas was going to betray him and still broke bread, washed his feet. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, there's a lot of other things. Sometimes Christians simplify forgiving means like all things are forgotten. No, no, no. I, there's much more to that that we can go into. But there's an idea that I wonder how often do we not invite people into our dinner tables to just be able to break bread? How often do we just say, okay, I'm going to invite these people because I get along, I'm comfortable with them, but I'm not with this, right? <clears throat> I know this movie, Godfather. If you know me, you know that I like this. I don't know why uh, Jenny makes fun of me. I like these, watch these like gangster movies. And this is one of the classics. So this is one that I highly always recommend to people, right? But, you know, there's these two brothers, uh, three brothers, but you know, there's a brother that becomes the godfather, right? The leader, this mafia, right? And what you see here, and he has his brother, his older brother, Fredo, that, that betrays him, right? He betrays him and kind of sells him out. And he finds out later on, and he, he says that to him. He says, I know it was you, Fredo, right? He kind of, in this party, it's like a dramatic scene. I know it was you. And he says, you broke my heart. You broke my heart, right? That is actually not easy. It's like, and, and what happens in the story of just even seeing that he has his, his brother is then killed, right? That's, in, that's too intense. Okay. But, but I think, I think what I want to highlight when we think about this is just how difficult it is to sit next to people that have betrayed or betrayed your trust or has, have hurt you, right? What that actually means. And what you see the significance of Jesus doing that and, and breaking bread and still inviting people into his life, right? Inviting them and speaking to them in ways that they didn't know who would be the one betraying him, right? In, in the meal at the, during the time when he says, you know, one of you gonna be, is going to betray me and they're going, oh, who is it? 
you know, I'm, I know in past messages, I mentioned this, but it always strikes me that they could not know based on Jesus's action and identify who that person might be. Because I realize for us, perhaps it might be easy for us to identify the people we don't get along with that maybe we don't want to break bread with. Because there's also besides that other actions and other things that we might do that might just create distance. But one of the actions and one of the, <clears throat> the things that we see Jesus does is that he breaks bread. He eats with people that have different in opinions, different backgrounds, right? As Pharisees commented on Jesus, why does he eat with sinners? Why does he eat with tax collectors? There's a way that Jesus is able to bridge and get to know people and genuinely care for people, right? He got up from the meal. He ate this meal together. And I wonder what that looks like. I know for me, <clears throat> in today's time, it's becoming more and more polarizing and separating, right? Even in Facebook, if you're a part of Facebook, it's specifically designed to polarize. You know, they target your ads. Uh, you know, they, <clears throat> they target specific, not just political, but I was looking at, but they target in ways that allows you to just feel, okay, I'm going to, these are my people and my tribe. And that is not, you know, there's options to optimize your targeting strategy with data science. I mean, big data mining, there's ways to look, what do people look at? What do people, you know, what do they say as you have on your phone? If you say something like buying clothes, maybe in the future, your ad will pop up saying, Oh, John, your hero wants to want to buy clothes, you know, like it's, it's, it's things that they target and they are very specific and based on what you are thinking and feeling, but that is at the same time in our culture, the reality that's creating more polarizing ideas, more, more polarizing behaviors and ways of not being able to even perhaps break bread. I know for myself, two things that have been really hard in the last, what, six, seven years of just, I was asking myself, who would I have a hard time breaking bread with? And there's two, two specific things that, you know, just kind of capture some of the things that are hard for me. One is this idea of flat earth, right? Like I have a hard time, but it's, you know, it's a theory that's out there. I have a hard time if, if people were like, I really believe it. This is where I, I'm, I'm at. Do you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I have a hard time kind of listening to, but this is just a, I know, outrageous, like kind of example, but you know, I, I follow basketball. I like people. And, and sometimes there's people that are saying specific things, you know, that are kind of, I just don't know how it comes together. I, I, I can't grasp it. And because of that, I know my inner being has a harder time being like, oh, let me just kind of in, appreciate that person for who they are. But Jesus is able to do that. He's able to see past that, right? Even before COVID vaccines, you know, one, <clears throat> I have a friend that, a high school friend that, you know, really believes in a, a, lot, a lot of like natural supplements. And I totally get it. You know, I, I get why it's important, but I can see myself having a hard time, you know, for a while talking and, and even now sometimes about vaccines. Now I'm not even talking about COVID vaccines. Okay. I don't even want to get into that. But there's a, the, the measles vaccine because they were posting, he was posting about this, right? And th this is just a graph of like, 
of measles in the 1950s and onwards and how you see in the first two decades, like 40s and 50s, there's hundreds of thousands, right? And then it drops down with the vaccine, right? Get people being vaccinated, not just the vaccine, vaccination, right? And over time recently in the, in the last decade or so, you see this, you know, zoomed in picture of how the cases have gone up, right? And <clears throat> I set that side by side with the spread of anti-vaccine sentiment in California, my home state, just because I pick on them, right? But it says in 2000 and see it 2000, 2007 and 2013, I'm sorry to make it, I feel like I'm making it political. I'm not, I'm just giving you an example of what I'm thinking about, of just how it's, I'm kind of picturing how this growth of a movement has been. You know, you see that there's more, more percentages of people that are, are asking for exemptions and vaccination. Now I say that only because to me, this one person that I grew up with that believes in this, that really is strongly believing in this. You know, I know I talk to my friends and I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a good witness in this recently. And I, I, I caught myself with this conviction or this sin in my life of just thinking, man, I don't agree and I'm having a problem. And I sometimes don't even want to spend time with this person when I go home, right? And not that I do, you know, but I do wonder in this particular scripture and what we see Jesus doing of breaking bread, of, of just inviting people into his life, that I wonder how much of it have I created barriers, the ways that perhaps, yes, they have a difference in opinion or even ideas, and so do I. But <clears throat> how we are before God is all the same. Do you know that we are sinners before God? And if Jesus could break bread with someone that betrays him, then perhaps something that I can do is make sure that I'm, I am hospitable, generous. I am <clears throat> loving and kind towards the people around me. Right? I realize this has been one that's been hard for me and one that you can ask me as I continue on. If you see me going back to California or something like that, ask me about it because it is something that, I realize it's hard and one that I do talk to my friends about, which I don't think is, is good. But Jesus in his last supper was able to just break bread and celebrate the Passover, right? He was able to do that with people that would, a person that would betray him, a person that would hurt him. And knowing that at the end of the day, all these disciples would actually desert him. Not only one, one would betray, but all would desert. But yet he still was there breaking bread, washing the feet. I think there's much to speak of, of his action just by that, and what that means in our lives too. It says here that <clears throat> Jesus knew the father has put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his, right? He understood. And this is why I realize so often in church, we talk about doing things and we're just so focused on the action. And granted, I, I, I get it. And I do that too. It's easy to focus on doing and focus on, on all this, getting it done or doing this or becoming more like Christ in that way. But I do realize that the focal point of Jesus starting what he did 
was that he knew the father had put all things under his power. Right? This, this verse, he, knew, he had come from God and was returning to God, gives a sense of Jesus's identity, his purpose, his mission. And from that flowed the action. Right? It says, so he got up. He knew this about the God, the Father. He had this relationship. God revealed that to him of what he was to do, what his purpose, his mission, and he carried it out in ways that he understood his identity. And that's when he started cleaning, washing the feet of the disciples. I think it's crucial for us as we continue on in our, in our Christian walk, never to forget it is because of our identity in Christ, our given sonship as we believe in Jesus of why we do what we do and not to confuse that, to earn the love of God, to be right with God is because we have to do all these things. No, it's because he has given us new life, our identity as sons and daughters of Christ, as we believe in him, that our lives are completely different. And in that way, we live not for ourselves, but with a different purpose, a different mission, a different identity. That is what I want to highlight as he ate. It wasn't because he was just, oh, that's Jesus and he can do it. I think it's because when we realize it is not just us that's doing it, but Christ in us that does it. It is not just us that loves, but Christ in us that really extends that love and people see that 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 transforms the way that we act, the way that we respond to God. It is not so much an obligation and a task, but rather an outflowing of our relationship with God. And in doing that, in understanding that he knew that, he then washed the feet of his disciples. So that's the first point. Jesus ate, and if he was able to eat with a person that would betray him and people that have different opinions, ideas of who he is without understanding people that would desert him. I think that's a challenge of what that could look like in our lives. Second point I want to highlight as he loves to the end is that Jesus washed their feet, right? This act of washing their feet was symbolic of cleansing of sin too. It's not just something of washing and it's just, cleaning their feet. Now that's something big in that era because you have to realize that they were wearing sandals. They walked around all the time. The roads are not paved roads, they're dirt roads. And it's, it could get nasty, right? They didn't have cars. They had animals They had poop on the floor. I remember going <clears throat> ATVing with my brother-in-law and it was raining a little bit that day. And we we're ATVing around and it was all dirt road. And he sees manure and you know we were doing it outdoors and you know in this on the island and he was like oh my goodness there's poop and pee that's like hitting my face right he's like he stops and looks at the ground where we stop because he's, he's asking like a tour guide how come i don't have uh these flaps that you know um i forget what they're called um but basically to stop the <laughs> the dirt from hitting your face when you're going around he's like i don't have this you know, and, but yet it was getting all over. So he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Right? There's other people who are like, oh, I don't want to do this. But in that time, that, that was just the reality of when you walk around for miles, 
that your feet are not just slightly dirty, but they might be very dirty. And even in that culture of that time, it was actually, if you read historical information, and I was reading the commentary, that it was not the Jewish slaves that washed the feet. It, they would actually get the Gentile slave. It's, it's that low of a, a way of seeing. It's not something that a rabbi or a teacher would do. But this is what it says. He says in John 13, as he, Jesus says, you know, Peter goes, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He recognizes that. And Jesus responds, he says, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. You know, and Jesus says, now Peter goes, no, don't wash my, you should never wash my feet. And it's interesting because Jesus gives hints of this when he says, you won't understand. But for us, through the lens of the, through the perspective of the gospel, through what Jesus has done, through the whole picture, we could understand it much more with richly than perhaps what they understood at that particular moment. Right, Jesus says this specific, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Is it really that important of washing the feet? Is it that, there's, I think there's something, he's alluding to something greater, right? As it goes on, <clears throat> Peter goes and says, no, wash my head and my, my hands. But Jesus says this, he says, those who have been bathed, who had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is cleaned and you are clean, though not every one of you. Like, what does he mean by that? Not every one of you. He does wash all the disciples' feet earlier. But that yet he also says that one of you is not clean. And I, I want to propose and kind of speak of the, the idea that Jesus is speaking of much more than just washing of feet, but about cleansing of sin. He's relating this to the Old Testament, to all things of purification of sin, of water, right? The <clears throat> washing in the Old Testament and what people understood at that time. And even in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27, right? He says, I, God says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I think, I think it's much more than just the washing of feet, but I think he was alluding to, he was showing this idea of cleansing of sin. That he would clean and he would be the sacrifice that would allow the sins to be atoned for. Likewise, I think when we think about this, likewise, it's so powerful when Paul writes this in Ephesians 4, verse 32, is that be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Right? That this whole identity and this understanding of washing, of washing the feet of the disciples like I said, it's not just the cleaning, but there's bigger picture of cleansing from sin. But what does that mean for us today? I think it means so much more. This idea of what does it look like? What does it mean that Christ forgave us? What does that, what does that look like on the day-to-day, -day, on the situations, our interactions with people? Like I said, I think it's easy for me to say this, it's easy for me to just say this out 
it's hard for me to also do it. I, there's nothing about this. There's nothing that makes it easy to actually forgive someone that has hurt you. But it is scripture of what God says. That doesn't mean that we just kind of get it done and it's over with. No, I think there probably is a process. There probably is the magnitude of what that wrong looks like. But I do think that there is a certain sense of what would it look like that because we were cleansed, because we were forgiven, what does that look like in our interactions with others? I think this, these two ideas of Jesus ate and Jesus washed comes together very <clears throat> powerfully in my mind in John 21. Pastor Michael has, has spoken about this earlier, about celebration, about the way that Jesus eats and celebrates with his disciples. But this is John 21 in a sense where after he is resurrected, he comes back, he sees his disciples, and he, he eats with them. In John 21, verses 10 to 13, it's just very short. He sees them fishing, and he tells them where to fish, and he, they come back. They couldn't catch anything, then they catch a lot, and then they come back and says, Verse 10, it says, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught, just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Right? This is after they have deserted Jesus. They have left him. They've went back to their own, their, their ways of vocation. And here Jesus appears to them and he says, come and have breakfast. I think it's so powerful in ways that he broke bread, forgave, and kind of brought people into his life. And perhaps over a dinner table, over a meal. I think it is something that I'm challenged continually continually with and i think as we get older as i get older and older i realize just how much more conflict is to come and how much more would it look like to forgive right but he i think it captures it well when we see jesus says come and have breakfast he invites you he invites me he invited the disciples and then you blessed them and he's, they saw of how much you loved them. So Jesus ate, Jesus washed, and lastly, Jesus served. He sets this example for us to follow to do the same, right? And he says this in, <clears throat> in the passage in John 13. He goes, after he washed, finished washing your feet, he puts on his clothes. He goes, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet, right? It goes on, it goes, I have set an example that you should do as I've done for you, right? This idea that he sets an example, he, call, he serves, he does this. And you have to remember what I mentioned earlier, that in that time, the, it was something that wasn't practiced, especially by a teacher, right? It was not even practiced by friends it was practiced by their servants or even or slaves that those that's how they would wash it wasn't something that was done regularly or no not that's not right it wasn't something done 
by a teacher, someone with high status. But he does this in humility. He does this, and I want to say, in servant leadership of what you hear in churches, in organizations. He shows them what he is expecting. He gives, shows them an example. He calls them to that same lifestyle. I think <clears throat> this is something that I realize more and more how important it is for all of us. And what I believe in of this idea of serving one another, serving people around. I think in our culture, sometimes it's that if we know something, then we start doing it. Then we start, we have to understand the whole situation and then we serve, right? Sometimes it feels like that. There's this linear progress. But I actually would say it's perhaps simultaneous. That when you serve, you're actually learning and knowing, right? We could conceptually understand this idea of forgiving or washing each other's feet, but until we actually do it, it's a different story. Until we smell the feet, until we see what's ahead of us, what's the difficulties. Loving one another is just sounds like a great thing and it's something we should do. But I think when we see this simultaneously, when we do it in parallel, there's actually this kind of synergy, kind of you learn about what you know when you're doing it and you, what you know helps you and what you serve. Right? When Jesus calls, you should do likewise, you should serve those. I think there's something about this. And this is something that I believe is important and great, especially in, <clears throat> if you come to this church, if this is what you call your home church. That there is something about serving, not because you're obligated or this is a small, no, but because it's a, who we are as believers, that Jesus has set the example and he has called his people, whether this church or another church, to live out in a way of understanding and serving. Comes hand to hand. And the culture today is very difficult of being more and more driven by what you get versus what it looks like of loving one another. That doesn't mean everyone have to take, we have to take roles in the church. No, no. It could be in your, in your workplace. It could be anywhere, but it is very specific. It's intentional. It's not just something that comes along and just says, oh, I'm going to serve. No, it's an it's a act and a step of humility that you see Jesus doing this. It's something intentional that he did for those around him. So when we think about what does it look like to serve, I think there's many things of what we have to ask. What does it intentionally look like to serve? He says this in light of this bigger picture, right? Oh, actually, <clears throat> I'll, I'll, put, I'll do this first. He says it in light of this bigger picture in Luke 22. There's the, the, the gospels show different perspective of this last supper. And in Luke's version, it kind of highlights even more because not all of them gives all the big picture at once, right? All the details. But in Luke 22, in the context of the last supper, there was a dispute. People were asking who's going to be the greatest. And this is the kind of the context also of Jesus serving his disciples, right? In Luke 22, if you read the whole passage and it goes to verse 24, it says, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And in his action, in his act of washing the feet of the disciples, 
he shows them what it looks like to be the greatest is not to be the leader and just kind of telling people what to do, but rather he says he is very specific, right? Those, the last will be first. He, he goes through and understands this idea of loving and serving. I say that because I think for, for perhaps today's time, when we think about serving, you know, one another, it's not necessarily about washing each other's feet anymore. And we're all wearing shoes and socks, perhaps, uh, although my sons don't like to wear socks. So, you know, but it's, it's funny because we don't, there's the act of washing each other's feet. It's just something that's not in the norm anymore. It's not even this idea that we, we do that as a way to serve. But I realized, and I was thinking about this, what does it look like for us perhaps today in today's time of humbling ourselves, of serving one another? And I, <clears throat> I think it's the idea of active listening. You know, a lot of us are, you know, many people, whether in church or outside, are looking for connections or, you know, there's all this information saying about people wanting connections, wanting genuine relationships, having opportunities to have all these contacts, but yet not being heard or known. And I think that's one way in today's time of perhaps watching each other's feet is slowing down enough where we genuinely hear what the other person is going through, what they're excited about, what they're sad about, that we don't have to answer or, or perhaps give solutions, but to be present and knowing what that looks like and what that means for that person. That perhaps today's time is, is the act of listening and act of sitting and being present. That that itself is serving in very specific ways. I think a lot of times we might have our phones on us. We might hear one thing, it goes out the other. It, we don't process it. We don't think about it. But I think that is one one way, not the way, one way of what perhaps active serving could look like in today's time. That's not washing the feet, but actually being present in each other's lives. So I, see, I think we see that in his actions as I close for us. Is that as he loved them to the end, one, he ate with them, he broke bread. You see how he connects with even those who would desert him, who would betray him. I think this is a question that I want to ask us. Are there people that we intentionally don't invite to eat dinner, to break bread? There may not be, but there might be. And I, I wonder in this way, even asking God, God, show me. Are there people that I naturally just say no? As we talk about Jesus washing and pure, cleansing their sin, how is our response to being washed by the blood of Christ? Right? How, does, how do we respond knowing that our identity, our life is because we have been given a new heart, a new spirit, not just what I want, what I have, but because of what God has given me, this new life and new spirit, what would that look like to live? And in response to. And lastly, this, as he served, in what ways do you see God working and to join him in serving? Right? He says, this is the example I've set for you. 
If you do this, you will be blessed. Right? He, he, he ties it together that as you, as we serve in reality, actually we also are blessed. I see this as an important, like kind of as I think about one highlight in my college time of just how that important, how important it was to serve with people at that time. And those relationships that have been built throughout the, throughout time now that it's been over 20 years, almost I think of, of graduating and keeping some of those and serving. Those are fond memories and it shouldn't be just that time. There's eras in our times in my time here serving that we built relationships we served and we, I've seen how that comes together and how I was actually blessed with these relationships. Likewise, I, I hope it is something that we and you are able to experience this idea that when you serve what he says, that you will be blessed. What does that look like? In what ways do you see God working and joining him to serve? Let's pray. Lord, I know it's um, easy for me to give them, even speak about forgiveness when it's so hard to actually forgive, when it's so hard, when we're hurt, when it's so hard, when we're betrayed. And so, Lord, I, I don't want to cover that up and put a, a Jesus band-aid over it and just be able to brush it off, but rather would you restore, would you redeem, would you renew the brokenness in our lives for your glory, for you to be glorified, for you to be exalted. May people see, Lord, you manifested in our lives through our love for one another. So, Lord, help us in whichever step, in whichever way, the baby steps or even large steps that we are to take, entrusting it into your hands. Seeing that we are sons and daughters. That this life is not the end. This life does not define everything. So, Lord, we pray, Lord, we pray for your strength, for your spirit to enable us to love, to forgive. Help us, Lord, to take these steps of faith to serve one another. The ways that you have shown us, Lord, as a teacher, a rabbi, that you humbly came to serve your disciples, that you humbly came from your home in heaven to come before us, to give us life. Help us, enable us of what that looks like to be people that are sent from you, Lord, into this world to love the way that you love. Help us always to be connected to the vine, to realize our true identity, our true source is only from you, Lord, and not from us. 
We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful, even when we're not. That you show that when you broke bread with your disciples after your resurrection. That you, Lord, bid us and invite us into fellowship with you, even when we make mistakes. Help us to appreciate that costly grace. and to extend that grace to those around us. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.